Right, thanks, Sean. And um, so great again to see you. I mean, last week was fantastic, and I see there's a few more faces that are coming out, and I'm hoping there are also a few more faces joining us online. But if you have your Bibles here with you, or if you are there at home, please turn with us to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, if you're confused where it is, find 1 Peter and then go to the next book. Otherwise, start at the back of the Bible and just page back a few pages and you'll find the book of 2 Peter. And we're going to be hanging out there in a few minutes' time. As a pastor, I'm especially interested in what goes on inside people as they live this life. And by people, I don't just mean you. I don't just mean believers and Christians. Uh, uh, I mean people who are studying, your colleagues, your family, your neighbors, and what goes on inside of them as they think about the bigger issues of life, as they think about the issues of faith and the the reality of a God. And as I think about this, I'm particularly interested in what moves people towards faith and maybe even to a point where they choose faith, or what moves people away from faith, and what becomes a stumbling block to people choosing faith. Now, I'm assuming that God is sovereign, that God is above all, that God is at work, and that's a mysterious way that God grows faith in our midst. But in an equally mysterious way, God uses you and me. And so my question becomes, What role do we play, particularly as Christians, in moving others towards faith or away sometimes from faith? Now, again, some of you might say, well, Stephen, oh, we've got to preach the gospel, and I'm saying yes and amen. But also, how do we live our lives in such a way between Monday and Saturday when we're not preaching the gospel when we're taking our foot off the gas, when we still have influence in other people's lives, what are they seeing and noticing that is gonna move them towards faith or move them away from faith? For example, you may get someone who is preaching something that is not true, but they're kind, generous, eloquent, moral, upright, trustworthy? And how does that influence someone else's faith? Or on the other hand, what if you get the opposite? What if you get someone who preaches the truth with arrogance and and condemnation and self-righteousness? You see, it's not just what we say, it's how we live that matters and influences other people's faith. And equally, as they observe our lives, and in a sense, the walk that we walk, are they seeing something of value in us? Are they seeing that whatever we believe in, even if they do not agree with the facts of what we believe in, do they see that at least to us, this is life-giving, this is valuable, I'm willing to risk much for the sake of my faith, because that is gonna inform their faith. However, if on the other hand, phrase came to mind as I was preparing for this message, they just see us going through the motions. I believe all of us have kind of a rut that we get into. When we take our foot off the gas and we just start doing what we've always been doing, we're just going through the motions. You know what, people can spot that from a mile away. I don't know if you've ever either had kids or you remember when you were kids, 
there's a bit of a fight in the playground, and a teacher or a parent comes along and says, just shake hands and make up. Now, reluctantly, these two boys come and shake hands and make up. Now, yes, sometimes, that's just the little catalyst that they needed to carry on playing as best friends. But so often, and I know you know these moments, they're just going through the motions. Yes, man. But inside, man, we can see straight through it. They're not engaged. They're not willing to make up and make friends. And so when it comes to our faith, people can see when we're going through the motions. Externally, it looks like something's happening, but internally, our heart's not in it. You know what starts to happen? They see straight through it. And you know what eventually starts to happen? We start to see straight through it we start to realize, man, what am I doing here? Just going through the motions. Therefore, that becomes such a dangerous way of life when it comes to influencing the faith of others. And when I say others, don't just think of people out there. Think of your kids, what they see. Think of your spouses. Think of your colleagues and your family and your neighbors, the people you love. But then eventually, you're also going to go, listen, all I've been doing is externally meeting some requirements, but that's it. And so we're going to get stuck into 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to see how God's Word this morning is going to challenge us to live an engaged and productive and an effective faith. So that we're no longer going through the motions, but our heart's in it. And I believe at the bottom of our heart, that is why we're here, and that is what we want. So let's read what we're going to do is we're going to kind of just walk through the text, stop, talk, chat, apply, go to the next section, stop, talk, chat, apply. And so let's start together, starting at verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I want to stop there. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, I think the way many of us live our lives is something along these lines. His divine power has given us everything we need for church. His divine power has given me everything we need for the Christian things that I do, for praying and for reading the Bible and trying to not do too many naughty things. And I think for many of us, our vision of Christianity is relegated to a handful of Christian things that I need to do to seal the deal so that I don't go to the bad place. Some like bottom line sense of all I wanna do is not go to the bad place and so, okay, yes, I need to go to church, read my Bible and pray and do those kind of things and we do it reluctantly, we go through the motions, our heart's not in it. And yet this verse challenges us and says, no, 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 his divine power has given us everything we need for life, for all of life, and for godliness. And so we need to expand our vision of our faith to include Mondays. And I don't just mean, oh, now I need to evangelize more. That may mean that, but that God's given you everything you need for life, everything you need as a parent, everything you need in the workplace. But Stephen, here's the deal. I read about Jesus and some of what he does makes no sense to me. I mean, I'm an engineer. I need to make tough decisions. And so I don't know what that means for me. 
I'm a teacher. I've got parents breathing down my neck, and I've got kids that I want to nurture. I, I don't know how what Jesus did 2,000 years ago applies in that space. And so often, we start to take faith in those parts of our lives, and we push it to the side. I once heard that, and people have said this in, in diff differing ways, that discipleship, discipleship is just a word of a journey of following Jesus. Discipleship is learning to live our lives as if Jesus is living our lives. How does that expand our vision of Monday through to Sunday? How would Jesus live your life? Yes, with your income and with your husband and with your wife and your kids and your limitations. What would your life look like if Jesus was living that life with your personality? Suddenly I'm hoping is happening to you is that your vision of faith is growing beyond the handful of Christian things that you reluctantly do include all of life. And so we need to believe that God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and everything you need for godliness. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word godliness. Maybe a bit of a caricature of some sort of holy person. Who knows? You know what helps me out? If I think of the word godliness, I go, godliness, it actually means godlikeness. We're nothing like God. Okay, how do I work that one out? Well, let's look at Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact and perfect image of God. So godliness is just another way of saying, for us as Christians, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. And as I start to understand, Christ-likeness does not include only Sunday mornings and my time of prayer, but includes my life. And that God's divine power has given me everything I need for that. So his divine power has, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. Who is that? Through our knowledge of him who called us. That's Christ by his own glory and goodness. And I believe this verse starts to get to the heart of what Christianity is truly about. Where his divine power has given us everything we, we need for life and godliness. Amen, Lord. How do, we, how do we get into what God has given us? How do we start to experience the benefits of God's divine power for life and godliness? Oh, Lord, we just stand on this verse, 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1 verses 3, and Lord, we just claim this divine power that you've given me for life and godliness. Is that how we do it? I say the tongue in cheek, but the verse actually answered the question for us. The way we access God's divine power for life and godliness is through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm hoping if you've been around here long enough, you would know by now that whenever the Bible speaks about knowledge in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's not talking about head knowledge. It's easy to have head knowledge about a person. I know some of you have your little celebrities that you love, and so you know everything about them. For some reason, on my social media feeds, I kept on getting information on the royals. I don't know why. I've never read about the royals. I've never clicked on the royals. I'm not interested in the royals. And, and sorry if this offends anyone out there. I'm not interested in the royals. But I know some people, oh, man, oh, man, that's, that's like the real deal. We know everything about them. We know what they're like. 
they love, what they don't like, where they're going, where they've been on holiday. So you know a lot about them, but you don't know them. So how do we access God's divine power for life and for godliness? It's through our knowledge of Christ's. As we grow in our intimate relationship of relating to Jesus, day to day, we are going to start seeing more and more of his divine power manifest in my life and in my godliness. And so we read on, it says here, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes and amen. We love your promises, Lord. We stand on your word and we claim your promises. Promises to keep me healthy. Promises to keep me strong. Promises to make me wealthy. Is that what his promises are about? Again, I say that tongue in cheek because this verse answers that question. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that, so that through them, through these promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. See, earlier, Peter, who wrote this, he said, God's divine power is given to us through our knowledge of Christ, our relating to Christ, our relationship with Christ. See, that's what tomato, now it just goes to tomato. And he says, through his promises, we get to participate in the divine nature. Same thing. The goal of God's power and the goal of Christianity is not so that I can have this comfortable. The goal of Christianity is also not, let me do these five little things to please God who's up there taking register of me so that I can avoid the bad place and go to the good place. No, the goal of Christianity is God. God is the goal and God is the reward. It just so happens that when he gives me life, his life guarantees a divine participation now and a divine participation in eternity. Think about some of the phrases we talk about in Christianese. Talk about, oh, are you born again, brother? Oh, this comes from the Bible, John chapter three. Go and read it. What's being born again all about? Well, it's God's spirit giving life, divine life, to our spirit. God starting something new in us. God giving us his own spirit from that point onwards up into eternity. What is that other than knowing Christ and participating in the divine nature? Or Paul says in Galatians, he says, I no longer live, but it's his Christ who lives in me. It's may I be less in the words of John the Baptist, may he become more. What is that apart from relating to Christ and knowing Christ and walking with him and participating in him and participating in the divine nature? See, at the heart of Christianity is not read your Bible and pray every day and go to church sometimes. Stephen, what did you say? At the heart of Christianity is knowing Christ. The heart of Christianity is participating in the divine nature. And if that becomes my goal, and if that becomes the heart of my faith, then yes, I read God's word because I want to know his voice. And I want to know the God of the word. And his word is living and active. 
And then, yes, I pray because I want to know Christ. I want to abide in Him. I want to enjoy the fellowship and the love of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father and His affirmation in my life. I want to be guided by Him. I want to be transformed by Him. So I read the Bible and pray every day. And then, yes, I go to church, not again to tick some register, because I am part of Christ's body, and I want to know Him, and I want to participate in Him. And by definition, I therefore participate in His body, participating with others who are participating in Christ. Is that starting to make some sense? The reason why I bring all of this up is because verse 5 starts like this, for this reason. So he's going to get super practical. He's going to give us some ideas to go deeper into our knowledge of Christ and our participation of the divine nature. But we can't start there. We've got to understand the why. We've got to understand the for this reason. We've got to be convinced of that. And so before we even get into verse 5, because some of you just like Stephen, just cut through the chase. Tell me what I need to do. Before I tell you what you need to do, I want to ask you verse 3 to 4. Do you even want that? And the reason why I ask that very pointed question is for some people, when they hear what the true goal of Christianity is about, it's about receiving God, that God is the gift, God is the goal, God is the reward. It's about knowing Christ and everything else is to buoy up that main one goal for now and for eternity. Some people go, Stephen, that's not what I signed up for. I just want to do, again, and I'm going to drive this home. I just want to do, tick some boxes. Tell me the five things to do so I don't go to the bad place. Relationship, divine power, transformation, treasure in Christ. No, I don't want that stuff. And that's okay. It's a moment of truth for you. But I'm praying for those of you who are here, those of you who are watching online, that as you hear the goal in the heart of our faith, that something in you responds and there's a rapport with this and you're saying, yes, yes, I want to get out of dead religious ways and I want Christ and I want to know him in the way you're describing. And if that's your heart, let's carry on reading. For this reason, God is the goal. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, I'm not going to unpack every single one of this, these words. To be honest, we could preach an entire sermon series on each of those words. I just want you to draw your attention to the fact that if you had to scan over those words, what those words are describing is the character of Christ being formed organically in you. And so being a Christian, if God is the goal, and if participating with Christ is the goal, what's going to start to happen is your life is going to start to look more and more like this. And if someone describes your faith, the first thing they say is not going to be your politics. The first thing they describe about you is not going to be your hypocrisy. The first thing they describe about you is going to be, here's the thing about my neighbor, my husband, my wife, my kids, is that they seem to be so full of faith. And, and they just grow in goodness. There's something pure about their heart and their motives and their intentions. 
and, and that somehow there's this knowledge, there's this insight that they have to life and to godliness that I don't have, that they evidence the self-control. They're able to see a bigger picture. They're able to persevere through tough times where other people would get off the bus. There's this godliness. Somehow, when I engage with them, I feel like I'm engaging with something transcendent. They're kind all the time. They're kind to the lowly. They're kind to the high. They're kind to everyone. They display such sacrificial love. I, I, I really hope that at some stage, my kids would say that of me. Now, as you look at these words, especially if you've been in church for a while, and even if you're a young new Christian, but you've been in kids' ministry or Sunday school or whatever, you've probably learned about a list of words or a list of qualities that look very similar to this. Does this kind of look familiar to any of you? Doesn't it look and feel like what we call the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Now, apologies for the crash course on the fruit of the Spirit. But whenever we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, or whenever we here at Riverside have preached on it, we've often said things like this. And we draw these analogies. If you're a lemon tree, you cannot make yourself grow lemons. If you're a lemon tree, you will organically grow lemons because that is what you are. However, if you're a thorn tree, you will naturally grow thorns. And so we cannot force ourselves to produce the fruits of the Spirit, because by definition, it's fruits of Christ's Spirit in me, not fruits of Stephen. And that can lead some of us to believe, oh, that's a passive thing, that's something God does, and that's something I need to be inactive in. And then we get to a list like this in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we go, I don't understand, there's this contradiction here. Here it says we need to make every effort. So Stephen, which is it? Do I sit back and allow God to produce fruit in me, or do I make every effort? Now, let's stick with the metaphor of organic growth. Can a farmer force an orange tree to make an orange? Five, four, three, two, one, go! No! The farmer knows he cannot force anything to happen. He cannot force the orange tree to make an orange. So what does the farmer do? Go, oh, well, go inside and watch Netflix all day. No, if you know any farmers, or even those of you who love working in the garden, you apply every effort. You're up early. You go to bed late. You're working hard. So what are you doing if you're not making the tree become fruitful? You are participating with the natural processes that enable the tree to be fruitful. So you're nourishing the soil. You're dealing with the pests and the bugs and the weeds, keeping them out the way. You're putting nutrients in the system. You're watering the tree in the right time, in the right way, you're pruning it. And you're harvesting the fruits in the right time. And you do all of that and you enjoy the benefit of abundance of fruits. And guys, in the same way, I cannot force God's fruitfulness in my life. I cannot force these qualities in my life. However, what I can do, I can add every effort into working with God participating with the divine processes that are going to produce those in my life. And so then, yes, I put my roots deep. I put my roots deep into the soil of God's Word. It nourishes me. God's Spirit is like a life 
life-giving sap that goes through my entirety, my entire being. I pray once again so that I'm in the presence of the one who gives me life. I get watered and cleansed by the word and the spirits of God. I deal with the, the bugs and the weeds in my life through accountability and life group and confession and repentance and receiving God's forgiveness daily as God's Lord's prayer is taught to us. And suddenly what I'm realizing is that I am exerting effort. I am working. But when there's fruit in my life, I don't go, oh, 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 that's because of what I did. I say, no, no, that's what Jesus is doing in me. He is the one producing this fruit in my life. So let's read on. Verse eight. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. So I want to stop there. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure. I just want to say to you, Christian, God is not done with you and you are not done growing. I know there's a tendency within me that after I've been through a season where God's been pruning me and God's been whittling me down and God's been challenging me and God's been growing me and I start to get to the point where I see some of the fruits of what God has been doing in my life, there's something in me that says, okay, job done. Whew. Right? Chill. Relax. Now let's think about that tree, that new life that God is birthing in me. That he wants to birth fruit in me. Here's the sad truth. Is that this side of heaven, not only is there this new life in me, but there are the weeds of my old self around too. What happens when you do nothing? More fruit or more weeds? More weeds. More weeds. Oh Lord, look at the fruit in my life. Look what you're doing. Man, I've been a Christian for 35 years. I get to take my foot off the gas. You know what you're going to see? I guarantee, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, five minutes or 50 years, you're going to see weeds. And so the vision of our faith is that we can grow in our character and we can grow in seeing these qualities in us in increasing measure. Some of you are like, oh my word, Stephen. <laughs> That's like, you know, like getting on a bike and getting over a hill. And it's like, oh, there's another one. Oh my gosh. Get up the next one. Another hill. Are you kidding me? And I understand why it feels like that. But maybe I want to sell a different perspective to you. What if it's not, oh, another hill? More effort. What if it's more of Christ in you? What if it's more participation in the divine nature? What if it's enjoying more of his new creation and his life in more of your life? What if that's the goal of what God's wanting to do in you as he says to you, possess these qualities in increasing measure. And so if you're 85, I don't think there's anyone here who's 85, but if you're 85, there's more of God to know. That's amazing. There's more of God to be displayed in you and through you. So let's read to the end of our passage this morning. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. Again, the goal is our knowledge that will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed 
from his past sins. Notice that if we want to be effective and productive in our faith, and effective and productive in our knowledge and our participation in Christ's nature, and if we want to become effective and productive in the lives of those people who are watching our lives, and if we want to be a catalyst for increasing faith in them, not being a stumbling block to their faith, if we want to get out of the ruts and just the bare bottom line minimum that's somehow going to seal the deal for me up in heaven, and if I want to start enjoying the life and the promises of knowing God, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And here's the deal, when I get that, before I get to that point, we can't start at verse five. We can't start at, for this reason, make every effort. Because that's going through the motions. That's just, okay, Lord, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But our heart's not in it. We're not engaged. And others see through it and we see through it. We've got to start at verse three. His divine power has given us. See, if we start at verse five, that's duty. If we start at verse three, that's delight. And at the heart of our faith is a supernatural joy and delight that comes from us knowing Christ and participating in his nature. And that starts to influence our life, all of it. Now, how wonderful to think about how that can catalyze faith in the lives of those around us because we're becoming effective and productive. I want to end off with something that us as a family have learned as we've been to a bird of prey center in the middle of the central berg. Some of you might have been there. And they rehabilitate these raptors, these birds of prey, and they eventually release them. And from time to time, they need to nurture a young bird of prey from a baby. And what happens with birds of prey and with other birds is this process called imprinting. And what starts to happen is if a human, for whatever reason, gets hold of an egg or has to nurture a live bird, a young bird of prey, the bird of prey doesn't naturally know who or what it is. And so it will believe that it is a species of who he thought was his parents during his time of development. And so if it sees a human feeding it every single day, it literally starts to believe it's a human. And you're like, oh, that sounds amazing. I want a pet eagle. But here's the problem. Eagles have talons and big claws. And if it believes that you're its mom, dad goes in for a kiss from mom, eagle comes in and rips his eyes out. And I'm not kidding. It's very dangerous. And so what these people need to do is they need to make like an eagle puppet and start imprinting upon this young one that this is who you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that one of the ways we are transformed into increasing degrees of glory and Christ-likeness is by fixing our eyes on God. Simply by gazing at him, we are reminded this is who you are. And in bathing ourselves in his glory and being reminded, here's your old self, but here's your new self, this is who you are, somehow, mysteriously in that process, we imprint ourselves upon him and we become what we worship. 
And so as we worship Him, and as we gaze upon Him, and as we yearn and desire to participate in Christ's nature, and as we know Him and walk with Him, transformation, effectivity, productivity starts to happen in our lives. So Cliff, why don't you come up and just help us with some pads as we pray. But I want to again ask this very pointed question to you. I don't think any message should end off with a sense of indifference, a sense of let's critique the sermon. Not that I'm afraid of your critique, but that's not the point of why we do this. Where we don't go away, oh no, the coffee was cold, the worship was too loud, whatever. No, no, no. Have I heard from God? And what am I going to do with that? And so as we come faith face to face with what I believe the New Testament is trying to drive home is the true heart and goal of Christianity. We need to make a, a decision. Am I happy to can continue going through the motions? And, and maybe some of you are. But at least you're being honest with yourself and with God. And I believe that actually positions yourself for God to work in your life. But I'm hoping that you're saying, yes, yes, yes. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to get out of the rut. I want to live in this life-giving, transformational space where mysteriously I'm participating with God in all of life. And I want to see and experience transformation. And I want to grow in godliness. Man, and I'm not just doing this for me, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for my neighbors, for my friends, for my colleagues. That I want them to look through my nonsense and be hindered by my lack of faith. So I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, we start again from your word where it says your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now that we've unpacked what that means, we're saying yes. And just wherever you are, whether it's out loud or in the quietness of your own heart, I just invite you to give a yes to God. Yes, your divine power has given me everything I need. When I wake up tomorrow morning, your divine power has given me everything I need for this day. When I go to a tough board meeting, your divine power has given me everything that I need. But God, what I hold before me is that God is the goal. Knowing Christ is the goal. And it also happens to be how I receive what you give me. How you grow things in me. How I receive rest and, and peace and grace and joy through my knowledge of Christ. So Jesus, I pray that you would empower us to know you. 
Christ would be formed in our hearts, that you'd awaken us to see the reality of Christ in our midst. We'd start to experience and know you in new ways. Your word would become living and active to us instead of dead drudgery. Prayer would begin to become life-giving. So Holy Spirit, pour yourself in us and on us. Just take some time to, yes, Lord, I receive that. I want that. True faith is hearing God's word, trusting him, trusting what it says and what it means, and then acting on that as if it's true. And so this cannot end at a wonderful time at church. This has to translate into make every effort. But now you know why. Now you know the goal. So, Lord, those things that have felt like duty to me, make delight. Increase the sense of joy that I experience as I make every effort. And God, I pray that you would reward us with your presence, with yourself. And that we would know eternal life because eternal life is knowing the Son and the Father. Knowing the Son. Make us effective and productive in our faith. Through our knowledge of Jesus, we pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. So, our second service back after our time of lockdown. Want to continue to for a cup of tea, coffee. Don't forget to RSVP about Saturday and our service.